0: Welcome to See Through Herbert Online. You're listening to a message in our newest series, Our Highest Pursuit. We hope that you enjoy this message today. Fantastic. I've got a word for you today. Uh, I'm just going to pray. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. I'm just going to pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that these words are words that you want me to say. Heavenly Father, I pray that uh, if we come in with with a closed heart, Lord God, that you are slowly opening them right now. Give us ears to hear. Heavenly Father, let not the words be of offense, but let the words be a defense against the evil spirits that are out there. Lord God, I pray that as we saw young Jess make a decision today, that you will use this time, Lord God, your hour with your people, Heavenly Father to see lives transformed and turned around. In your mighty name, amen. Amen. Fantastic. I want to start with a quote from Pastor Andy Stanley, who said, uh, spiritual maturity is when you live each day as if Jesus is who he claimed to be and what he said is true. Let me say that again. Spiritual maturity is when you live each day as if Jesus is who he claimed to be and what he said is true. Over the last seven weeks since we've reopened the doors, I have on many occasions been asked, did we rush back into doing church in the physical building? And my answer is not ignorant to the person asking the question, but maybe the question shouldn't be, did we rush back into the building? Rather, are we each day living a life whereby Jesus is who he claimed to be and what he said is true? Judas Smith puts it this way, our pursuit of God should be matured in private in order that we can strengthen others in public. I'm going to preach out of a text today in the book of Mark. It's also found in Matthew. It's in Mark 11. You can turn there if you want to. I've never preached out of this text before. And for a little context, Jesus is is entering into Jerusalem and it's the beginning of the Passover time. Now for Tasmanians, the Passover is this huge festival, a huge event on the Jewish calendar. It's kind of like the Taste Festival and Mona put together. Historians actually say that that the city swelled from 40 to 250,000 people during this period of time. And as part of the festival, it was was practice for the pilgrims to bring a sacrifice into the temple. And they didn't carry them with them from their faraway lands. They had to purchase them there and there in in the outer courts of the temple. Because they had to be signed off by the priests to see that they were blemish free. Now the temple also only used Jewish currency. So they had to exchange money in order to buy the goods. Now this is where it got a little bit, a little bit interesting. And being opportunistic, and being a nice word, the priests were literally cashing in. I want you to take back, go back in your minds to those faraway days. Back in those days where we used to be able to go to sporting events at big football fields. Remember those days? And you'd, you'd go there and at halftime of the game, you're like, I'm going to go and buy a chips and a, and, and, a, and a Coke. And you know that a, you know, a bottle of Coke at the, the petrol station or something might be $2.50. Yet you go there and they charge you $9. Why? Because you can't. they can. This is kind of what was happening in, this, in the outer courts of the temple here. Now, to add a little bit more pain to the travelling visitors, they they were non-Jews, they had to use the outer courts, as I said, and conveniently, the stalls were set up right outside of where they would walk in the doors to worship God. So in their face was a reminder of what they needed to do, yet the price tag to enter was often so high that they couldn't physically do it, and the result was it stopped people from worshipping God. Scripture in Mark 11 says this, On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? I think it is universal at the moment that you cannot go into any store or public facility or or anything without some sort of signage telling us about COVID safety plans. And they are designed to to help people stay safe from catching a virus that may cause them physical distress. And that's important. But over the next few moments, I want to share with you what I'm calling my Psalm 73 safety plan. Which is based on clearing the obstacles in our lives to ensure that we are helping people go into the temple to worship Jesus, not the other way around. Psalm 73 was written by a a guy called Asaph. And Asaph was a spiritual leader in his local church. He was in charge of the the temple choirs, or or what we would probably call a worship leader. It was kind of your Stevies and and your Elishas up here today. And who knows that when we look at... Let's take Elisha. That when we look at Elisha... We realize that she's got it all together, right? She stands up here and you know she's she's got it all together. She has to. She she's one of our backing vocalists, you know, seeing that Christ alone is our cornerstone. So she's got to have it all together. And Asaph was that guy that you looked at and you thought this guy has got it all together. He was actually one of his one of his in two chronicles it tells us that one of his jobs was the official symbol clanger. I think we should bring that back. Pastor Steve, we're bringing back official symbol clangers. He was also a seer or a prophet. And it was said that he composed hundreds of of praise songs that we use for generations to come. Yet on the inside, Asaph was suffering from spiritual erosion. He was struggling to worship the very God that he was singing about. Psalm 73 starts like this it says, How good God is to Israel, to whose hearts are pure. The very next verse, it says this. But as for me, I came so close to the edge of the cliff, my feet were slipping, and I was almost gone. The first step in my Psalm 73 safety plan is this. We need to check our foundations. Check our foundations. There's a story of a famous lighthouse that was situated in in Delaware in the U.S., this lighthouse was, was critical to the local shopping industry, shipping industry, maybe shopping as well. And it was a true beacon of, of light and pride for the people around it, so much so that, that they spent hours looking after this lighthouse. They painted the outside. They swept the stairs. They tended the gardens and they washed the windows inside and out and they changed those mighty big light globes in order that this lighthouse never failed. Yet the story goes that everybody was so focused on the outward appearance of the lighthouse that nobody ever checked the foundations. And in 1926, a storm came through this area and the whole lighthouse fell into the sea. I was raised in the church And I've read the Bible cover to cover, except for Lamentations and Job, because they depress me. And I would like to think that my foundations have been built on on values that I have derived from the Word of God. Yet how often when confronted with social or ethical issues, do we we not lean on the foundations of the Word of God, but instead we look for public opinion or what will appease others? In 2013, St. Mary's University in London completed a study based on a cohort of people who claimed to have a Christian faith. And they found that on matters of social reasoning and ethics, fewer than one in ten sought guidance from either the church or the Bible. And these were the three reasons they gave. The first was this, that the Bible was no longer a trusted source of truth, which I find staggering in a world full of public opinion. The second thing is they said was that the values in the Bible are outdated and they don't understand my lifestyle. The Bible hasn't changed, but maybe our tolerance of it has. And the third one was this. It said, I don't actually know what I believe anymore. You know, often I get so caught up with, with, with looking and reading about pub, everybody else's public opinions on, on social or ethical issues that, that I literally want to flip their tables. But you see, the thing is, is that I'd be doing that because I haven't got my focus right. Except, Jesus, in this passage that we read about, walked into the temple, and the reason he flipped the tables is because he loved people. Matthew 22 says this, Jesus said to the religious leaders, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. And equally as important is not to tolerate and find fault in those around you, but to love and care for them. The foundations of our very life are not found in our outward appearance or what we can do on stage or something like this, but in the understanding that God sent his son to die on the cross in order to take our sin-filled life and set us free. That is the foundations of the scriptures And we can put anything else we want around it. We can put tables in front and we can sell things and we can do all of this sort of stuff here. Yet Jesus is saying, my people can't even get in the door and worship. He wasn't saying that this was wrong. He's saying, I love my people so much and they can't even get in the door to worship because they don't have the money to be able to do it. Or they don't have the ability to be able to do it. Or we've closed the doors to it. Or maybe we have forgot what our foundations are. The second point is this. Is that we need to recalibrate our perspective. You with me here, church? We need to recalibrate our perspective. In air navigation, there's this, there's this little formula, a rule of thumb called the one in 60 rule. Which states that if a pilot has travelled for 60 nautical miles then one mile off track will equate to one degree error in heading. For the clever people, there's a a mathematical equation to this, but I'm not a clever person. So I'm going to make it fairly simplistic for you. We start at A and we want to get to B. And we kind of hope that our journey is a little bit like this. Where we just head along our pathway. We're told where we need to go and we're just going to get there. Yet who knows? There's in the middle of things called obstacles. And what we do is that we change our perspective or we change our angle to go around them because obstacles hurt. Hurdles in our life hurt. Brokenness hurts. So, so we, we take a little direction around it. We're still wanting to get to be. Yet we've, we've taken a direction around like this. But here's what happens. Is that we keep going that way. We might only be one degree off where our destination was. Yet all of a sudden, we start heading this way. And no longer have we got the firm foundations of what our destination was. Here's the thing though we think to ourselves, well, we can go back. My bee's a little bit too big. We can go back. Yet actually, what we have to do is we have to recalibrate our perspective. The rule is said to be incredibly powerful in helping air traffic controllers refocus pilots as to their true north. You see, the pilots, if they're in a a plane that doesn't have autopilot or all the instrumentation, they think they're still heading to their destination, yet they've headed off course and they don't even know it. The reality is, is that we need accountable friends in our life who are like air traffic controllers. We need people in our life who are going to speak into us and tell us that we're one degree off. You see, because the one degree, if we keep going this way and no one speaks to us, we end way off track. Yet the encouragement of air traffic controllers in our life, those around us who say, do you know what, who have the courage to us to say, do you know what, we just need to refocus a few little things. I've noticed you've been getting angry lately. Do you want to talk about it? I've noticed that you know, you're spending not much time with the kids and you know, too much time at work. Do you want to talk about it? Yet the challenge is for us, is that we've forgotten our foundations and so we've lost sight of our perspective. And when we do that, what happens as an air traffic controller giving us advice turns into offense. Asaph said this, he went on to continue this in verse 3. The same man who was standing up, the same man who was actually appointed by King David himself. You can read it in 2 Chronicles. It said this, for i was envious of the prosperity and the purpose uh, prosperity of the proud and the wicked yes all through their life their road is smooth and they grow sleek and fat they aren't always in trouble and plagued with problems like everybody else so their pride sparkles like a jeweled necklace these fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for they scoff at God and threaten his people how proudly they speak they boast against the very heavens and the words strut through the earth. Verse 13, Asaph says this, Have I been wasting my time? Why take the trouble to be pure? I don't believe anybody wakes in the morning and says, I think my Christian walk is going to a road today. In fact, spiritual erosion is often subtle and silent and suddenly we stop reading the Bible. We stop getting excited coming to church and it becomes a chore. We drop out of connection points because we're tired. And we've decided that the church doesn't need my money anymore because they're doing okay. And yet then we look around and we realize that we haven't been bothered chatting to God in quite a while and that our life has actually become void of God and that then when someone, our air traffic controller, wants to speak into us, we see it as offense, not as help. If we are lucky, we will have air traffic controllers in our life. Mates, friends, mentors. Those standing around us who have the courage to redirect our paths either subtly or maybe by flipping our tables. You know know that sometimes we've got so far off track that we need Jesus to come in and flip our tables. Why? Not because he wanted to see mayhem, but because he loves us. My third point is this, and I'll get the guys up. My third point is that we need to remove our obstacles. Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, said this in chapter 3. He said, I admit that I haven't yet acquired the absolute fullness that I'm pursuing, but I run with passion into his abundance so that I might reach the purpose that Jesus Christ has called me to fulfill and wants me to discover. Paul, the Apostle Paul, is saying, do you know what? I'm not sure that I've got it all together yet. In fact, he's saying, I'm pretty sure that I haven't got it all together yet. And I'm pretty sure he's saying that there's going to be more hurdles in my way. And there's going to be more obstacles in my way. But he says that I'm going to run with passion into his abundance. Why? So that I can reach the purpose that Jesus Christ has called me to fulfill in this life. Let me ask, what has Jesus called you to do? Scriptures are clear. Love one another with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. He says that's the greatest commandment. That's what Jesus did. When Jesus walked into that temple, He didn't see the price written up there of what you've got to pay for a dove. He saw the fact that his people couldn't worship in the temple. So whether the doors are (coughs) open or closed, what are we doing? What are we doing? Can I grab some water? You see, the question, did we rush back into the, the building, is actually irrelevant. The question is, are we loving people? Are we caring for people? Are we, doing, are we spiritually maturing in private in order that we can reach people in public? because we can open all the doors or we can keep them closed and and I, and I pray for pastors and the decisions they have to make either way with that yet if internally we're not accepting the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross for us to take our sin filled lives in order to set us free then we can't love somebody else you see because that's the ultimate act of love I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for just a moment. (laughs) The church has copped an absolute battering over the last decade. And a lot of it was due to, to poor governance and accountability and practices that led to neglect and abuse. Further to this, the church has lost its voice on things that mattered. And as we saw in a survey, people have lost their faith in the church. Yet the good news is that we are not bound to a natural world, we follow a supernatural God who has invited us to go beyond. Why could Paul say this to the people? in Philippi because he understood and he was spiritually mature enough and he had air traffic controllers in his life that would speak into him and ensure that no matter what was happening around the question was asked are you loving others are you loving others feel today that just as our eyes are closed, that we're struggling to love others because we can't even love ourselves, that we're feeling broken and battered and when we say the word we want to run with a passion that we can't even get up and walk in the morning. that we've become spiritually eroded and actually now we're shameful to be around others. We don't want to go to any air traffic controllers in our life because we're embarrassed of of what they might think of us. I want to tell you that Jesus Christ died on the cross and He was buried and He rose again in order to take your sin-filled life and to set you free. He took you as you are. He didn't say, well, I'm going to do this and... I'm going to wait until you're perfect. He said, I'm going to take you now in order that I will set you free. Just as our eyes are closed, I'm going to ask that if the words that have been spoken today have resonated, that maybe you've lost perspective or foundations and you want to get right with God today, I'm just going to ask you while all eyes are closed just to put your hand in the air. This is just between you and your heavenly Father. Thank you. I can see that hand. Those hands there. Thank you. I can see those hands. Thank you. I can see those. This is just between you and God. To say that I've stopped asking for help from my air traffic controllers. I don't even know what my foundations are anymore. Yet, yet, God, I want to give you my life. Is there any more? Just keep those hands up. Thank you. I can see those. Fantastic. I can see that hand. Heavenly Father, I just pray. Lord God, for those who today that you've been speaking into their hearts, whether hands are raised or not, it's actually irrelevant, Lord God. I just pray that ears have been opened and hearts have have received, Lord God, a word that you have for this church. That we will be a church where where the doors are open or not, Lord God, that we will have a love for others. A love that mirrors what you did for us, Heavenly Father. That we will sacrifice for others, Lord God. That we will show them the love and care and hope in this world. Lord God, in a, in a world that is telling us there is no hope, Heavenly Father, we sing a song that says that you, Christ alone, is our cornerstone. And so God, we just thank you. We turn our attention to you direct our hearts that you might be our highest pursuit, Lord God. In your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Fantastic. Let's... Thanks for joining us today at See Through Hobart Online. If you were impacted by this message, or you'd like to know a bit more about our church and what we do, you can get in touch with us via our website, c3hobart.org.au. See you next time.